All right. Uh, Isaiah 60. Now, let me just read through this uh, with you real quickly and come back and comment on it. Now, Isaiah has been prophesying. He is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. Major in two ways. One, in just size of his writings. You've got, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. They're considered the major prophets because they're big honking books that they wrote. They're they're pretty major. But major in the sense that um, in terms of uh, of prophets and prophetical writings, it's probably the most major. I mean, this is the the biggest book in the uh, Old Testament that prophesies about the nation of Israel and about the Messiah. And it is the book, I believe, that is the most quoted in the New Testament by Jesus and the apostles and stuff that they quote back and refer to Isaiah over and over again. So this is like the biggie. That's why we kind of spent some time in this. We haven't done, spent on every verse, but kind of giving some of the highlights. But uh, talking and prophesying about judgment coming and restoration, judgment, restoration, judgment, it kind of jumps back and forth and stuff like that. At times, it's a little hard to track. Uh, he prophesies then about the Messiah, and even then, some of the prophecies about the Messiah didn't really become clear until the Messiah came. You know, now, prophecies are a funny thing because it, it kind of gives you bits and pieces and, uh, and it's not necessarily linear. You know, we think linear, you know, one event after the other after the other. But in prophecy, prophetically, they're seeing stuff all over at different times and he groups it all together in one thing and it's a little difficult at times to separate it all out. But anyway, talking about judgment and, and all the butt kicking that God's going to bring on these guys because they wouldn't repent. Uh, Then he goes back again. He's been doing this back and forth, talking about restoration. This is where we're in chapter 60. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant, your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Keter's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth, or whatever you say, will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar. I will adorn my glorious temple. Who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nest? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Foreigners will rebuild your walls, and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. So he's, he's already talking about, and he's been doing this throughout the book, and, and we see that pretty much in all these prophets, they would talk real heavy. God said, I am so ticked at you guys. I am seriously going to bring judgment. But at the same time, then they talk about, I'm going to restore you. I will never forget you. You'll always be mine, but I still got to kick your butt. All right. So anyway, uh, so he's going to this, your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession for the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish 
It will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the pine, the fir, and the cypress together to adorn the place of my sanctuary. I will glorify the place of my feet. The sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion, of the Holy One of Israel. Although you have been been forsaken and hated, with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Nothing like royal breasts. The... boys over there giggling all right then you will know that i the lord am your savior your redeemer the mighty one of jacob instead of bronze i will bring you gold and silver in place of iron instead of wood i'll bring you bronze and iron in place of stones basically moving on up everything's stepping up man i will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler no longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then will all your people... Be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. It is time. In its time, he says, I will do this swiftly. All right, now, a lot of wonderful, warm and fuzzy restoration things. But just in this chapter alone, in this series of things, He is covering huge chunks of time, okay? You don't catch that until you look at it historically. Now, uh, they didn't know it at this time, but if you saw, look at just in the past history of Israel, what you had is when God brought down judgment because of their stubbornness and their sin, you know, boom, judgment comes down. They're off into captivity for 70-some-odd years, whatever it is, and then he restores them and he brings them back, but they're still under the thumb of other nations, and they stayed that way for hundreds of years, good four or five hundred years, until Jesus was born. But even when Jesus came, they were under the thumb of another nation. Everybody remember who that was? The Romans. The Romans were there. They were occupiers. And, um, and But we see parts of this had been already spoken of. They started rebuilding the walls of the city after the big uh, destruction. We'll read about it when we get to Nehemiah and some of these other Old Testament books that talk about this restoration and stuff. So that started happening. But this thing where, you know, it'll be peace and you'll never have any more problems and stuff, surely that hasn't happened yet. Okay. Um, uh, So anyway, Jesus comes and then Jesus prophesied and he saw what the Romans were going to do to, to them. If you remember, Jesus was weeping over the city and he said boy if you would have just listened to me what salvation would have come but instead judgment would have come in about 70 years after jesus uh the romans came in and they slaughtered everybody i mean and they and what what remained was scattered to all over the world um uh, they were brutal uh, they surrounded the city. They starved them out. They, as people were escaping, they grabbed them and crucified them. They crucified so many people around the city of Jerusalem. History says they ran out of wood. 
Uh, I mean, it was just a wall. Just a wall of bodies hanging all over. I mean, it was horrible. This is why Jesus, when he looked and he saw it prophetically, he wept because he saw of, of the disaster that was coming. Then, from then on, for almost 2,000 years, um, the Jews had no city. They were scattered all over the place. Um, and, uh, you know, in Russia, a lot of it in Europe and stuff, and of course, you know, not but... A hundred years ago, things started getting crazy for them. The Nazis came along, hating the Jews and the big uh, persecution that came on them. Uh, But yet, all of this drove them back to Israel. And in 1948, in a day, they became a nation. By the way, there's a... uh, Look at Isaiah 66. Right at the very last chapter, I believe. 66 verse 7 and 8 or verse 8 yeah 66 8 he says who has ever heard of such a thing who has ever seen such a thing can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment Uh, well many people believe now looking back on that that this was prophetic of the fact that in 1948 Israel was in fact a nation born in a day you know, that's why a lot of people feel that these are the last times because now Israel is coming back. Now, why is that significant? Because in the book of Revelation, when we see the end of all things coming together, Israel is a major player in that. Well, none of that made sense for the last 2,000 years. Why? There was no Israel. There weren't Jews in Israel. There wasn't anything, you know, for really thousands of years. None of it made sense in 1948. Holy cow, all of a sudden it made sense. Now, the Jewish nation is a very powerful force in the Middle East, and there's still all kinds of fireworks around that deal constantly, and the tensions that are building there, this will not go away, by the way. This will all build in a final combination that will actually end in when Jesus comes back. Um, the Bible has actually says, if it weren't for the fact that Jesus uh, did not come back, that there would have been nothing left. That's when the Armageddon thing all happens. That's over in, in the Middle East. And the nations, it's all going to get into like one gigantic final world war, if you will. But you can imagine with the firepower that we have today, as people fear, no one really survives a final world war. In fact, Jesus steps in and that's when Jesus comes back. Okay, So when all this is exactly going to happen, we don't know. But one thing we do know, as of 1948, everything changed. Boom. Israel's a nation again. The stage is being set. It's pretty exciting when you think about it, when you start to read the Bible, that we are living in pretty exciting. Because, again, for 2,000 years, even back up another 1,000 years before that, because Israel still was under the thumb of someone else, none of that was possible. All of a sudden, boom, it's possible. A nation born in a day. Now we speak of Israel as a sovereign nation today, something they did not experience up until since these days. Because once this judgment comes in, Boom, they were not a sovereign nation until just a handful of years ago. And now all of a sudden they are again. Wow, all these verses kind of kick back into play. Very, very fascinating stuff. So anyway, so we know that uh, they got scattered all over. So they come back and Israel starts uh, prospering again. And uh, the, the desert starts to bloom. There were prophecies about that. And now you look at the Middle East, they've taken, because of modern irrigation and stuff like that, they've literally been able to make the desert bloom. 
you know, stuff that when they wrote these made no sense. How is that possible? You can't make the desert bloom. Well, now, of course, it makes sense because of irrigation and all the technologies and stuff. So a lot of things they talk about, like, wow, that's, that's all pretty wild. But not everything in that group of, of, of prophecies that he talked about uh, has happened yet. Particularly the part where he says the... Uh, you know, the, you won't need the sun or the moon anymore and stuff like that because it'll be, well, what is he talking about? We see that in Revelation. If you turn to the very last book of the Bible, almost the last page in your Bible, it's chapter 22. This is the very last chapter in the Bible. And this is where we see um, the culmination of all things. Now remember, what Revelation says is that all these forces will join together basically and will eventually go with the book, book of Revelation. I've been encouraged to go for it. And <laughs> It's a little intense, and I don't know what to talk about half the time, but we'll give a shot at it. Uh, uh, but what it says is, uh, you know, basically this world war is going to happen, uh, you know, all around uh, around Israel, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes back, boom, puts a stop to it all, and then the Bible, Revelation says there will be a thousand years of peace on the earth. The earth is, does not end at this point. There's not judgment day yet at this point. There's going to be. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. This is something the Bible refers to. The, the, the millennium is coming. The great millennium. People think, well, that means a time of just peace among men. No, no, no. Jesus himself will come back and will rule and reign on this very planet for a thousand years. Yes. The point of that is to show that if they would, if we human beings would have lived by his principles and precepts, we would have succeeded. And he's going to prove it. He's going to come back. He's going to let mankind continue. To, but all of a sudden there's going to be peace now. And because he, the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. Talk about butt kicking. Okay. You know, a lot of the nonsense and the craziness we see politically and all the insane stuff that's going on will not be allowed in the world. All right. And for a thousand years of peace and prosperity. And part of these things, when he's talking about being rebuilt, the walls rebuilt, that was, you know, maybe just... Seven years after that, uh, but then talking about, you know, restoration and coming back. Who knows what he was talking about? Was this, you know, when they all came back to Israel before Jesus came back? Or was this when, you know, uh, 1948? Uh, we don't know. But part of the thing is when during the thousand years reign of Christ, uh, uh, the nation of Israel, because he's going to literally, the Bible says Jesus will literally live in the city of Jerusalem. This is pretty radical stuff. All this is going to happen. We don't know when. We're waiting. We've been waiting for 2,000 years, but God's very patient. and uh, It's all starting to come together. Uh, but that's when it says, you know, the gold of the nations will come to you. Are you kidding? Man, when Jesus is ruling and reigning in Jerusalem and there's no more wars and, and people have finally got the craziness out of their heads and stuff like that. Do you think people are going to be going to Israel and bringing gifts to honor God? Yeah, big time. You know, it's going to be. So that's probably part of that thing. Uh, But then in chapter 22, this is after Judgment Day. This is when it all hits the fan. Everybody is resurrected. Those who uh, lived or have their names written in the book of life will get into heaven. Those who don't are going to go sent to hell. And, uh, you know, and then the Bible says that this entire earth is going to be totally destroyed in a big ball of fire. You say, pastors, there's going to be global warming. You bet your sweet pippy there's going to be some global warming. You know? And I mean, it's going to be gone, Jack. Toasted. We're not going to worry about, you know, greenhouse gases at that point, man. The whole thing, boom, going up. And the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth because everything's going to be just totally wiped out by fire. You know why? Probably because everything's so poisoned because of 
you know, thousands of years of sin and hatred and bloodshed in, in, in this world as is. And finally, it's just all going to be done away with. So then he starts writing about what it's going to be like with this new world, which is basically heaven now. This is the real heaven. The heaven that people die and go to now is not really the end heaven that's going to be. There's going to be what he says, basically a do-over. God's going to torch everything, the whole thing, you know, the earth, the universe. I don't know. It's going to be something else. Talk about fireworks. Everything goes up. And then he starts describing this in chapter 22. He says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb, talking about Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. So food is constantly coming out. There's no problems like we have today. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, because right now the world and everything, as beautiful as the world is that we live in, make no mistake, this is a cursed planet. Can you imagine what this place was like before it got cursed? And even cursed is pretty cool. You can imagine heaven when there is no curse on stuff. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the, lamp, the light of the lamp or of the light of the sun. What does that sound like? Sounds like Isaiah. Is it? Now this is like after judgment. So the whole point of this is when he is talking of this restoration, he's covering Lord knows how much time here. I mean, from the time they first came back, started rebuilding the walls, to when probably the thousand years of, of peace, when the, where the world is all coming and bringing wealth and stuff into the city, honoring God, to where there's, there's, you won't need a lamp or a lighter because the Son of God is going to be there and there won't be any, you know, now that's, we're talking after Judgment Day. So the point of that is, I just want you to see how nonlinear this is. He's covering huge chunks of time. Boom. And as you read these prophets, they're jumping all over the place. At one point, they're describing something that's going to happen here. Uh, and then they start describing something that was going to happen when Jesus came and died on the cross. And then the next minute, they're describing something that uh, happens when Jesus comes back as the conquering Messiah. Way over here, you know, saving us from the final world war. And then, I mean, but they're jumping back and forth just like this. I don't know that they even understood what they were seeing. I really don't, you know, all I, all I know is they were writing what the Holy Spirit was putting in their hearts to write, and they were seeing things, and, and what order it all comes in, I don't know. Like I said, we'll have fun going through the book of Revelation, because that's, this is easy compared to that thing, that's like Hochi Mama. But, uh, you know, what order it's all in, I mean, it's, it's all pretty fascinating. So anyway, so he finishes this, and then chapter six, 61, back in Isaiah again, flipping back over there. He just finishes that, and then he starts speaking... In chapter 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. 
now to show you how mixed in all of this is. What you've just read was a prophecy of the Messiah. How do you know that? I would never know in a million years. The only reason we know it's a prophecy of the Messiah is because Jesus said, he quoted the first part of this, said, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, I didn't know it was a prophecy. I thought he was talking about himself. You know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, da, da, da. Check it in uh, Luke, the fourth chapter. We're just dancing all over the place here. Luke, the fourth chapter. We'll start at verse 16. You guys keep it up with me back there? Okay. 416. He says, he went to Nazareth, talking about Jesus, where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. Now, up to this point, you know, uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist has been there and all this stuff. And Jesus shows up and uh, he stood up to read in the synagogue. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So the prophet Isaiah, remember, this is the most quoted prophet. This is a big deal here that we've been going through. So Jesus takes the book of Isaiah and he starts scrolling through it to find this spot. What spot? The spot we just read. Actually, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I think, there was another part. I thought he had already read this, but it was a similar. But this is actually the one. My bad. So when he reads it, and here it is. Verse 18. Jesus reads what we just read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll, what we just read. We read a little bit further. Because there again, my point there is all of a sudden he talks about the beauty for ashes, the oil of God. It sounds like they kind of changed channels again. I mean, these guys were like, again, who knows what they were seeing. And, you know, these prophets, I mean, wow. How do you know you're not stoned when you're not seeing all this stuff? I have no idea. I mean, these guys are like, wow. They're seeing stuff and he's blended it all together. But Jesus reads that part of it and says, this is about me. Because he says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And everyone is staring at him. Okay, this is right at the beginning of his ministry when he first started. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is that? That's a very understated way of Jesus saying, I am that guy. Whoa, I mean, that's a major deal, right? They haven't seen Jesus yet really doing much of anything. They've heard about him doing miracles. He's in his hometown. All of a sudden, he shows up. He reads that big deal of Isaiah. Again, they revered Isaiah. You know, who knows if they even knew this was a prophecy at all. But what he's saying is when Isaiah said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all these things and to bring all this freedom to people, he was talking about me. And he sits down. Well, People are like, wow. Well, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. The problem they had was, isn't this Joseph's son? We know this guy. Well, he's a nice guy. Yeah, but did you hear what he just said? He said that that he's the guy. He can't be the guy. We know this guy. You can't be the guy that you know. It's got to be a guy you don't know, right? So Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you've heard you've done in Capernaum. 
Because they heard he'd done these miracles. He says, but I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Anybody notice that? <laughs> Doc, despite your degrees and stuff in life, you know what I'm saying? You, you can do all these things in life, you know, but when you go home, right? You know what I'm talking about? You can beat a man, but when you go home, you ain't nobody. You know what I'm saying? You're just the kid we all used to beat up, or in your case, you probably beat them all up. But you know what I'm saying? You know, I did a great pastor. You know, Pastor Mark, praise God. Hallelujah. I come home, I'm just a village idiot. You know, nobody cares. So, I mean, <laughs> so, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody's got that thing. And what Jesus is saying, look, this is even true of a prophet. Even prophets get dissed when they go home. So, so he says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a famine in throughout the land. Yet I, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. I have to understand what he's saying. He's basically dissing them. Because these people were extremely proud of being Jews. And you talk about a sense of national identity. These guys had it like on steroids, okay? Because the Jews basically felt, and real hardcore Jews to this point, to this day, even kind of basically feel, you know, there's Jews and then there's everybody else. There's Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are just above chickens and frogs, you know what I'm saying? So uh, this is one of the reasons some people don't like Jews. I mean, it's one of the the reasons that people fall into this thing because they're very separate. They don't really care what you think. They don't really care, you know, real conservative Jews, you know, because they're God's people and you're, you know, firewood. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they don't, they don't really care. So Jesus basically disses them saying, listen, when Elijah, remember Elijah coming to that widow and stuff like that? He said, you know, there are lots of widows in Israel he could have gone to, but he didn't. He went to this Israel, to this lady from the region of Sidon. Well, they didn't like that because, you know, you know we're Jews. And then he says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy. In the time that Elisha was the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Oh, now he's ticking them off. All right, so he's basically pointing out that God's grace is bigger than just your bloodline, right? So first of all, he gets up and reads this, I'm the man, God is bigger than just being a Jew or not being a Jew, and the people were not particularly thrilled with this. And it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. That's when you know things are going badly. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's one thing if people don't like you or criticize you. When they line you up to kill you, that's a bad day. So they are in a fury and they're just incensed by this Jesus who does he think he is and they bring him to the cliff and they're ready to throw him down and then uh, the Bible says but then Jesus just walked right through the crowd and nobody touched him and he went on his way why because it wasn't his time the power of God was around him Jesus wasn't freaking out he knew they're coming to threaten him you know see the apostles around Jesus oh dude you're gonna die (laughs) those people they freak out at the first sign of anything bad you know what I'm saying you're real encouraging people. <laughs> we were talking about this the other day. You know, when we first heard that Deb had cancer, you know, in the church, we had two types of people that came to us. There were people who were full of faith, who looked us in the eye and said, we're trusting God for a miracle for you. That was very refreshing. Then you had other people, they're just crying. They're, they're already planning the funeral. You know what I'm saying? 
I actually got, I don't know how many of you remember back in those days. So I actually got to preach a sermon and said, listen, if you're freaking out, don't come talk to us. We'd rather not hear from you. If you're going to freak out, freak out away. We're trying to get in a place of faith. We're trying to get a place where we're going to trust God. I don't need you coming up to me crying and freaking out. <laughs> I was so sad for you, Pastor. It's so sad. We'll bring you beans when you bury her. You know, it'll be, you know, hello. I don't need that. I need to be in a place of faith. Anyway. There you go. Yeah. So I'm sure they're all freaking out. People freaking out. But Jesus, right up to the right, up to the point where they're ready to throw him down. I don't know what happens. All it says is all of a sudden he was able to walk through the crowd. I don't know if all of a sudden the power of God shows up. I don't know if all of a sudden everybody just went, and Jesus just looked at them. They probably all just froze in their steps, you know, and just, come on, boys. It's time to go, you know, and away they went. So very, very cool stuff. Anyway, so here we have this uh, fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, he doesn't read the whole thing, but that whole section is basically, he's basically trying to say, this, this is me. Anyway, pretty cool stuff. I, I don't know, again, a lot, of, I would have never guessed if I were reading this, that that was a prophecy about anything or anybody. That's why I said a lot of it doesn't make sense until it happens. And then when it happens, then you look back and go, oh, for example, that thing. Does anyone think it's even possible that a nation would be born in today? Up until 1948, does that even make sense? What's he talking about? I don't know. I don't know. All of a sudden you look at it and go, oh. That was the prophecy. You know, and it's kind of reassuring. What it helps you let you know is that as you're going through things in life, there are markers where God speaks to you about something uh, and, and they're able to look back biblically and say, oh, okay, we're, we're on God's timetable. God's got everything under control. He saw this a long time ago. I don't know if you've ever had anyone prophesy to you. Um, I've had people who, who have in my life, they would come up to me uh, particularly some pastors that uh, used to minister to us, you know, years ago. I remember one guy coming up to me, uh, making some statements to me, just very calmly looked at me, and he spoke some things into me that made no sense at all. I didn't even understand really what he was talking about. Until like 20 years later, all of a sudden, the very thing he had talked about, oh, oh my gosh, that's the thing he talked to me about. But, you know, what does that mean? It's just it's kind of a neat little marker in your life where it's a way of God just kind of showing up and winking at you going, <laughs> I knew that 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Kind of neat thing. So, anyway. Um, my encouragement to you, if, if someone prophesies to you and says, listen, I think God's telling you this, that, or the other, don't just go run off crazy to make it happen. Usually these prophets, it's not so much run out and make this happen, it's just God laying things in your life Saying, hey, I have it all under control. Now, what is the purpose of prophecy? As we wrap this up real quickly. Um, let's look at uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking about the end time. When all, all of a sudden we're talking about, why did he know about the end? Because the Jews knew about the end time. Because they knew that some of the things that Isaiah and the others had prophesied are things that are going to be at the very, very end when all this comes together. And Jesus is talking to them in verse 36. He says, look, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. By the way, if any preacher ever comes along and says he knows when Jesus is coming back, get away from him. Get away. They don't know what they're talking about. 
What was this lunacy back in the 80s, you know, where some guy had figured out the date of Jesus' return? And he sold like a gazillion books of this. Christians buying the book. Hello? Jesus said no one would know when. But pastor, he wrote a book. <laughs> he don't care if he lights himself on fire. Which is probably what he should have done. Idiot. Guy made millions of dollars and of course nothing happened. Don't get caught up in this nonsense. Nobody's going to know. But he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be coming at the end of or coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, what he's trying to say is everything is going to seem, at some level, pretty normal. All right? For the daily lives of people... Uh, it says two men will be in the field one will be taken the other will be left some believe this he was talking about the, the, the rapture happening uh, two women will be grinding with a hand mill one will be taken the other left and you know was he talking about the rapture there was he talking about something else we don't really know a lot of these things when they talk about the end times they give us pictures and you don't really know what is the point point? and he tells us the point in verse the very next verse he says therefore now whenever you read a therefore you should ask yourself what it's Therefore, all right, the point of the prophecy isn't so people can argue about what he's talking about. He says the point of this, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Look at Second Third Peter, or Second Peter chapter three. That's what I'm trying to say. Second Peter chapter three, um, and verse ten, he says. Wait for my computer guy to catch up here. There we go. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? They don't know what's going to come. Again. Don't listen to idiots who say they know. The heavens will disappear with a roar. What's he talking about? That thing that we talked about at the end. At the very end, everything's going up in a big flash of toast. <laughs> the elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Everything's going to be toasted. Well, when is it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Do we know what's going to happen? Should we argue about it? No, no, that's not the point. The point is the next verse. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what's the point? What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Okay? And then one last one in Thess- uh, Thessalonians. Second, first Thessalonians. Yes, First Thessalonians, and then I'll let you go. Well, I'm not going to let you go. Uh, we got some people who are going to... I'll take a couple of questions real quick if you have any, and then we're going to have some people who are going to get baptized. Hallelujah. So, uh, but... Uh, verse 16 of chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4, 16. There we go. Talking about the end. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command... With the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together to meet, uh, with them to meet the, uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Hence the rapture thing. Possibly what Jesus was talking about. So we will be ever more with the Lord. Okay? And what was the point of that? The next verse. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The point is, is 
don't get into the temptation of getting all psycho crazy of trying to understand every little thing. Uh, the Bible still talks about the end times and stuff like that. We can kind of guess, we can kind of wonder, we can be. But the point of it, every time you will read something, you watch it. Every time where it talks about the end times, Jesus talks about the end times, the apostles talk about the end times, they will give you a little snapshot, different snapshots that they had. Who knows if they knew what they were talking about. All they knew is that something is coming, it's going to be big, it's going to be awesome. But the point is, knowing this, that we should either be encouraging each other, knowing that God has everything under control, as he was just saying, or making sure that we're living seriously the Christian faith. Because you don't know when this stuff is going to happen. That's the point of knowing. It's not the point, and the reason I say this is because some people get, you know, they get real crazy sometimes about, you know, what the Bible says about this and end time prophecies and stuff like that. And, you know, I can give you my opinion, what I think it means, but nobody really knows. We will all know after it happens. <laughs> after it happens, we'll go, oh, that's what that meant. You know, so up until that point, just, there's supposed to be points of encouragement and points of warning for us. That's the point. Anyway, so that's pretty much for it, Isaiah. We'll, we'll end with that, and then we'll pick it up with some of these other little prophecy books. Again, we're not going to read all the Old Testament. We're just hitting some of the highlights to give you a sense of it, and then we'll get back into the New Testament. Okay, I'm done. All right.